Welcome to Coffee and Converse. I'm Diane and this is a show for lifestyle entrepreneurs, those people building a business to support their life instead of living to build a business. If this is you, stick around for strategies on doing business more efficiently, with more ease and in a way that feels oh so good to you. Hey, today's guest, Catherine Melvin, is a messaging expert and a TEDx speaker who uses her theater background to help personal brands develop and deliver their world-changing messages. Everything from acting to directing to education, she's done it all. So this is going to be an interesting chat. Hey, Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So first, I think we need to talk about your theater background and how that transformed into a business because it's such an interesting backstory. Yeah. So my undergrad degree is in classical theater performance. So I spent my college years studying Shakespeare and Shaw and Ibsen and Moliere and all of those old dead white guys that we still like to watch and and read. And when I graduated, I took some time to tour, and then I moved to Chicago, and I worked there for about 10 years as an actor. And during that time, I also founded a national touring arts education with a company which sent teaching artists all across the states and taught theater and put on plays with kids. So that was my first business before I moved into copywriting. And I think that one of the comments that I get all the time from my copywriting clients is about their level of surprise at how well I can slide into their voice. And I think that that is totally, that comes from my theater background. That comes from years and years of being handed someone else's words and needing to embody those. Actors literally put on other people's shoes and walk around them. And we always say, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. It's the best way to understand them. And I really, truly believe that studying performance, studying acting is the best way for a person to learn empathy. I mean, you can learn empathy through reading and through all sorts of other ways. But like, if you want to embody that, if you want to speed up that process of of understanding other people, I think that learning to be an actor is hands down, like, the way to go. I'm now completely picturing you dressed up as your different clients, like, around <laughs> your, uh, like, house or apartment as you, like, get on with your day, right? Oh, it's Monday. Like, it's I don't so do that, Sunday. but... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe now. <laughs> I also think that theater people who've either studied it deeply or then have, you know, gone on to be in performances have got such a leg up in entrepreneur land because you're used to being just out there and judged and rejected. Mm-hmm. There's so much rejection. Right. And and just bouncing back from that over and over again, whereas we little non-theater entrepreneurs are like nobody likes my instagram post <laughs> not like nobody likes my performance that i poured my heart and soul into preparing for for like three months or whatever right what is the one thing 
from that experience that you wish you could instill more of in business owners? That is a really good question. What is the one thing that I wish I could instill in business owners from theater experience? So when you are working on a play, people think about rehearsal and they think about performance. And those aren't the only elements of preparation. Before you ever get in the room, there is text work to be done about what your character wants and needs in a scene, the tactics that they're using to get there, understanding what the potential possible other motivations of the other characters in the scene are. And I think that from my perspective as a messaging expert, that is something that you can absolutely bring into your market research. That's something that you want to find out. What are the motivations of my potential clients? What are they looking for? What pain are they feeling? What do they need? What challenge are they trying to solve? And what tactics have they already tried that didn't work so well? And that can inform then what you can create as an entrepreneur to solve those challenges, to help them grow, to to get them to meet the goals that they've set for themselves. And I guess from the perspective of like, what do they need to hear from you mm-hmm. in order to respond positively, to understand what it is, right? Because Absolutely. What is that story that you need to tell that is honest and authentic to yourself and to yes, the work that you do. Yes, I don't mean manipulatively. Do. We're not I telling mean, like, fiction. <laughs> no, no, I mean, but like, we all have like a story mm-hmm. bank in our heads and the one that you think is the one that everybody needs to hear might not be the one that they're actually ready to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that a lot of the time we skip, we skip a few levels when we're trying to communicate with our clients and we forget that there's a belief stack that needs to happen, what they need to believe number one before they can believe number two, they need to believe number two before number three, and they need to believe number three before they will be ready to believe in the transformation and click that buy button. I really like that as a like belief stack. It's very visual for me. I like a good visual, but I think that's an easier one to think of than, you know, when people say, just build no like and trust. Right. But how? And even now, I ha- I keep coming back to, I've got a new offer and I'll be like, oh, and I'll go and I'll be like, I'm so excited about this. And everyone <laughs> will just be looking at me and I'm like, yeah, I did not plan for this. I did not like. It was, I was it just was, so eager. There was no prep. I just ran naked onto stage and was like, I'm going to take over. Right. Yeah. Um, that's not recommended <laughs> running naked on stage and trying to take over. I feel no. like that usually doesn't work out super well. <laughs> no, I did actually meet an actress who had just done a completely nude scene. And I remember saying to her, like, what preparation goes into that? And she's, most people want to know if I'm embarrassed. I was like, well, I'm assuming not. This is not the first <laughs> performance, but I'm curious as to like, you know, what you do mentally with mm-hmm. it. Set yes. the foundations for I'm going to go be naked as a character in front yeah. of potentially hundreds of people. Yeah. So kudos to her. Anyway, back on to messaging. 
So, <laughs> naked actors aside. Naked actors aside. So, when I think about branding and messaging, for me, these have always been the same thing. And I recently did an interview on brand versus branding, with brand being almost what you stand for, your consistent core. And branding being your colors, your fonts, your voice, etc. Where does messaging fit in with all of that? So I think that you want your colors, your fonts, of course, your copy, all to reflect your message. So if you are a brand that is, you know, working on a more solemn challenge if you're if you're a brand that is you know helping people with eating disorders or or something like that like you may or grief you may not want to come out and make your brand colors bright pink and neon green because those two stories those two that those colors make make their own message they say happiness they say excitement and while you may be helping your clients get to happiness and excitement and freedom and some other things that that those colors might say you always want to start where your clients are at and so through your colors through your logo you still want to have whatever that message is that you want to be sharing with your clients whether that is in that case like hope or health or stability and those types of colors are going to be very different and the and the graphics and imagery of a logo might be very different than a message for an organization that is planning children's birthday parties or something that is like more superficially excitement happiness thrills and so your messaging i think is woven in and out of all of that branding, even where it might not seem like it is the most obvious. And I think that's why it's important. There are so many really fantastic branding experts out there who take your values, who take your vision, who take the, the message that you are wanting to share and their brains work so differently than mine, and they can take those ideas and turn them into something visual. And I've seen so many times, like when, I, when I was running my children's theater, we worked with the person who became our art director. He did tons of different graphic design for us, whether that was like set design or logo pieces and, and, and other collateral. And every time we got something back from him, my business partner and I at the time, we were like, we, we barely gave you any information. And how did you cobble this together and bring it back and make it such a beautiful thing that, that really tells our story? And so all of those elements, I think, really do have to go back to what is your story? What is your message? What, what is that, that idea that is on your heart that you need to get out into other people's minds? So would you say messaging starts with fundamentally what do I want the world to know what is the core reason I have the business externally and what I mean by externally is I don't mean it's necessarily your why like your why for having your business could be 
a multitude of things, but it's almost like your people's why. Yes and no. Ooh, <laughs> and it depends. So I love and it depends. <laughs> yes, y- yes. The your your people's why is essential to understand and communicate. But in order to get there, in order to get to that like level of this work, there are multiple levels beforehand. And where I always tell people to start is I have this thing called the purpose pyramid. And the very foundational level of the purpose pyramid is your personal values. You as the business owner, not your business values, but your personal values. What, how do you want to show up in the world? What world do you want to create? And then moving on to your business values and saying, okay, I've made my list of personal values and I've prioritized them so that when things conflict, I already have an idea of of what's going to win out. And then you say, okay, those personal values, which of those make sense for my business? And are there other values that aren't on my personal values list, but that I should bring into that business values level? And from there, by knowing how you want to show up in the world, then you can look at your vision. And your vision is imagining the utopia that would be created if you could live out those values fully, if other people lived out those values fully, what is that world going to look like? And then we get to our mission. And that's where people usually start, is with their mission. But I believe that your mission is representative of the action steps that you need to take in order to reach your vision. So you can't have a mission before you have your vision. You can't yeah. have a vision before you have your values. The mission so, is the mission is the how of yeah, the vision. Yes. Right? So I very much encourage people to start with personal values and build their way up that purpose pyramid. And then that's when you can really start sort of complicating the conversation and saying, okay, this is what I want and this is how I think I can get there. How I think I can get there has to do with who my potential clients are, what their needs are, what their challenges are. And what they are willing to believe. It's a lot of steps. Yes, I have like this Lego pyramid in my brain. That's a beautiful equilateral triangle that's been built. And then all the messaging forms in weird shapes. and Like like a volcanic eruption. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But not (laughs) as uniform. (laughs) As we try to bring it all together. So... You said something there about what they're willing to believe. So now we've built our pyramid and now we're thinking, okay, how am I going to message this to the world? Are you then stepping into your belief stack of like, okay, this is what they believe and they need to hear this first. Mm -hmm. And so do you have messaging for each of the stages in the belief stack? Yeah. So for example, in my work as a messaging expert, I have two avenues. One is my copywriting work where I write people's websites and their email sequences and their sales pages. And then the other side is TEDx coaching. And with TEDx coaching, people, before they come to me, before they're willing to say, yes, I am ready, help me get my TEDx talk, I need them to believe that they are at that point. And so something that a lot of people struggle with is saying, oh, my my idea isn't ready. Like I have a general concept, but I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. 
And so I need them to believe that that is enough. And so I have a lot of messaging around that. In the workshops that I give and things, a lot of it is this language of, of belief in them that TEDx talks aren't out of reach, that TEDx talks are achievable, because there are other people out in the world being like, oh, TEDx, it's this big, enormous thing. And not that it's not important and, it, and not that it's not impactful, but if you want a TEDx talk, you can get a TEDx talk. And that's something that I really focus on to get people to the point where they're like, okay, I believe I can. I believe my idea is rough enough that now it is time for me to bring a coach in to help me refine that idea and help me move through the whole process. Does that make sense? Yes. I think one thing that was interesting, so when we met, I was telling you my story in a very long-winded, many-directioned <laughs> way, and you were able to summarize that in its kind of essence of these five points are your mm -hmm. whole story, which is really interesting because I've used your kind of five points. Yeah. <laughs> when someone's asked me my story again, and it's, it's A, it's much easier because I don't feel like I'm boring someone, and B, I feel like they're actually like able to repeat my story if someone wanted it. And I know this comes from intense amount of skill and practice and your ability to read a story and pull the essence out of it. Is there a way that people like me can do that for themselves where they have a bank of stories that they feel like this is going to really hit this belief, but I don't have 20 minutes to tell the party version of mm -hmm. my story to just pull out the nuances? How do you turn like a, a long-winded story into a message? I think that you're right that a lot of it is practice. A lot of it is telling that longer version and seeing where people lean in, seeing if you tell it on social media, what people are commenting that they're resonating with. I think that there, we tend to, when we're talking, use a lot more words than when we're writing. So I think that a shortcut might be if it's a story that you're used to telling verbally, record yourself and transcribe it. <laughs> and then when you see that it's six pages long, you'll naturally shorten it. <laughs> but you can really go through and you can you can spend time on it and with it in a different way when it's written down. When you're just verbalizing it, the words come out and the next thing has to happen. But when it's on the page or on a digital page, more likely at this point, you can look phrase by phrase, you can pull out those. I think that the thing that I remember when we were talking was that you introduced the story by saying, ah, I, it's a boring story. <laughs> and then you told this story that had some like powerful words. You talked about your work in like investment banking or something, yeah. I think, <laughs> which for lay people goes, oh, this person is smart. This person is powerful. This person has knowledge. And so looking for the words like that, that even as you're familiar with your own history or your own story, those things that make you go, oh, yeah, when I said that before, someone did lean in. Someone did say, oh, wow, that's cool. And even like physically highlighting or highlighting on your computer or whatever, or underlining those words. And actually, 
this kind of goes back to my theater training too. So when I worked on Shakespeare projects, because Shakespearean language can be quite dense, it's meant to be heard, it's not meant to be read. So as you're reading it through prior to rehearsals, something that I was trained to do was go through and underline and circle. Like, I think, I think it's been so long, but I think that the professor trained me on this, called them telegraph words. Like, if you were going to send a telegraph, what are the limited Ooh. words that you would send? And looking at your story from that perspective, and then you can expand back out from there. Oh, I love that. It's another nice, great visual. I'll be in my, like, old, like, Wild West outfit, like, <laughs> telegraphing my story. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so how do we move from that messaging and those stories to making sure that so now these are all super punchy and everybody's excited and then they like land on our sales page, which we have a very specific purpose and we've now moved them past the belief and they're ready to go into conversion. How do we make sure that that sales page isn't just like, so sad tuba. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want any sad tubas. Definitely. <laughs> we want excited, happy sounds, whatever those would be. Fireworks or something. I was going to say the triangle because it was the only thing I was allowed to play. Oh, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're going to play the triangle while people read our sales pages. And I think that the way to get to that reaction is really by asking this question that can come off sort of snarky, sort of sassy. And it is, so what? We often focus on the facts we focus on the features of our service, our program, our course, whatever it is that we're selling. And what we really need to be focusing on is, okay, that's cool, but how is this going to benefit me as the reader, as the student, as the client? What am I going to get from this? So, for example, we might, if we're advertising a course, we might say, you know, and there are four live Q&As. Okay, that's the what. That's the feature. But so what? Why do we care? How is that going to change my life having four Q&As available to me? And so we would really focus on, like, these are, this is an opportunity for you as you work through the program to come up with the questions that really matter to you and get personalized in real time feedback and clarity so that you can X, Y, Z. And obviously that's a lot of words and we would want to, you know, clean it up in editing. But this is something that has stuck with me through all of the work that I've done. And it goes way, way back to when I was in high school. My sport of choice was speech and debate. <laughs> so that says something about <laughs> who I am as a human being, that that was where I, where I felt valued and fulfilled in my teenage years. And I remember learning as a debater and as a speechwriter to ask that question, to be in a, in a debate round and say, okay, here are the facts. My opponent says this. 
But here are the facts that contradict that. And here is why it matters. Here is why it matters to the case. Here is why it matters to you, the judge, personally, and how you will be impacted. And bringing that, that so what, really heavily into, into that messaging, into that story that, that, that we would craft. And so when you're looking at your sales page, but not even just your sales page, like this is all your content even if you're you know going live on instagram or you are writing an email it has to have that element of so what for us to really care we as humans are designed to take the lazy way the the path of least resistance and so Something that I struggle with sometimes as a business owner is assuming that people will do more thinking and like more forward thinking on their own than people are really designed to do. And I put that pressure on people and that's unreasonable because that's not who we are as humans. And so I have to remind myself to spell things out for people and really say, okay, here's what we're talking about. Here's why it matters. Here's why you should care. Here's why you should listen. Here's why you should click this buy button. Because without that direct communication, people are, are going to click away. They're going to click the X. They're going to stop playing your Instagram live. They need that guidance from you. And I guess that also goes back to where you're trying to telegraph that story is like, which are the points that are actually conveying something that's important to the mm -hmm. person who you want to be listening to it? Absolutely. So now that you've hyped everybody up and everyone's excited mm -hmm. to get the word out and get their message out and, and have it be much more meaningful and much more succinct than they probably have it at the moment. Tell me about what resources you have to help them get started, right? Because it's one thing to say you need to do this. It's another thing. Everyone's going, yes, how? So a really great way to practice this is by using your blog space. You probably already have a website. You may or may not have a blog that you use, but it is real estate that can be really, really practical and really, really useful. It's also a great playground for exercising new ideas and for practicing different tactics. And so what I have for the listeners is my guide to five essential rinse and repeat blog posts. So this is a short guide that's really intended to give you simple and unlimited blog content. Because four out of five buyers, and this is a crazy statistic to me, four out of five buyers, when given a choice between a brand that has a blog that they've been able to experience and a brand that does not have a blog, four out of five buyers are going to choose the brand with the blog. So if you don't have a blog yet, get ready to beef it up. If you do have a blog, this is a great way to add more content and really help practice that that's so what question that should be in all of your content. I'm not going to lie, that's a totally terrifying statistic for me <laughs> because the reason I have a podcast is that I am incapable of hitting publish on a blog. I'll, I have like 
400 blog posts that are like 50 to 75 to 99% written. So much so that friends have threatened to like hack my account and publish everything. So, so two things that come into my mind. One, a lot of the time we feel like things aren't ready and they are. So if it feels like it's 70% there, it's probably ready to publish. Oh, I'm publishing like B work. Right. It's like, like our, our, our perfectionist souls crack to think about that. But it's true. If, if you feel like something is 70% to, the, to where you want it to be, that extra 30% is going to take you so much more effort than the 30% of quality is going to be worth. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is, yes, you have a podcast. And that means that you already have the content for a blog. So you can post your, your podcasts and you just you can either transcribe them fully and that's the really simple way to do it. Or I think the more beneficial way is to take that transcription and create or have someone create a narrative blog. So that content is already there. You're super yes. ready. You're super ready for your blog. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a none good of, place. Those are good problems the, to have. None of the listeners can see the horror on my <laughs> face as I as I think about. I might have to go and like download the guide and be like, okay, this is this is doable. This is feasible. All of the the types of blogs that are featured in this guide are super simple. They're not research based. They're about you. They're about your team. They're about your vision. So it's all things that are already inside you that you can then put out into the world. I challenge you. <laughs> Shifts nervously in her chair. <laughs> okay, I will give it a go. So to finish up, I always ask my guests the same two questions. First of all, what is your number one lifestyle boundary for your business? So I set the expectation for my clients that there are no copywriting emergencies. I believe that things can be calm, things can be peaceful. That is the life that I want to create. My, my main two personal values are calm and agency. I want to make my own choices them to result in peace. And so I don't like to respond when people create urgency that doesn't necessarily factually exist. Yes. <laughs> when people come to me, when clients come to me and they have, there actually is urgency, but they have created it themselves. Like they had a deadline and then they didn't reach out to me till the day before. Their urgency at that point is not going to become my mental health problem. So that's something that I that I really try to focus on is setting that that boundary of no copywriting emergencies. How do you set that expectation? Because I think a lot of people listening to that, listening to this are probably thinking, oh, that sounds lovely. So one thing that I do is I write it into my contract. Not in those words, but... I specifically say that the average turnaround for such and such a project 
is X number of days. I also have language about like if personal emergencies come up that might affect deadlines so that if, you know, got really sick or or had to travel because someone in my family was sick or something like that, that I have some breathing room to say, I need to extend this deadline. And it's always in the contract. People sign off on it. So I can always guide people back to it. I've never needed that language as far as like the personal emergency section, but I'm glad to have it. I'm glad it's there so that you know, eventually something will happen and I will want that flexibility. So that's part of it. Part of it too is in my sales conversations and in my onboarding conversations, I work in my values. And I really try to do that. Another another freebie that I have actually, which is at rightcatcreative.com slash align. That freebie is all about how to take your values and put them in different places so that people are constantly seeing them. Like I have some things in my email signature. I have things in my like out of office response that are specific to my values. Awesome. Okay. Finally, what is the worst piece of cookie cutter advice you've been given as an entrepreneur? I feel like anything that has like the must energy, like you must go live on social media. You must teach live before you go evergreen. You must coach one-on-one before you coach in groups. I think that a lot of that advice is good advice and it's there for a reason. People have learned that it is good advice. But I think about the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland being like, all ways are my ways. (laughs) And they're not. (laughs) We each have our own way. And it's really good to hear other people's perspectives about what they believe is the best way. But ultimately, it's about the pros and cons that are personal to you. So it might work better for you to coach group before you ever coach one-on-one or never coach one-on-one. It might work for you to never go live on social media and only post recorded things or written things. And that's that's fine. Right now, I think reels. Like, reels are the only way to grow your Instagram. Well, maybe it's not worth it to me to grow my Instagram if reels aren't are going to have other negative effects in my life. You must do X, Y, Z. I know that's not a specific piece of advice, but it's like, it's that energy. It's the genre of advice, though. I find yeah. when I do like a wealth dynamic session with someone, usually at least one point in the session, they'll be like, oh, that's why I hate. And it'll be like one of those pieces of advice, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or they'll realize that they've been giving what worked for them advice to their mm-hmm. clients who fit into a completely different profile and then wondering why they just won't do it. Yeah. So I do love that one. I find that the must advice is usually the one that gets somebody stuck. And I love that people give advice. I love that there are people out out there sharing their experiences, but I I try to be careful and I'm not perfect at it, but when I share tactical advice to say this is something that has worked for me or I've seen this work for other people, but not have that you need to, you must. This is an absolute sort of approach to it. 
And I do think there's an element of entrepreneurial maturity or self-examination or responsibility that the listener needs to take. Mm. You wouldn't necessarily read a book and be like, okay, I've decided that I'm now going to change my life because right. I don't know, I read a vegan keto article. And right? it You'd is the like, way. I'm South African. Anyone who tells me to give up meat, it's just, it's a non-starter. Let's not begin. <laughs> right. But somehow we don't carry that into, oh, you must do reels. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I hate being on camera, but I must just force myself to be on camera yeah. now. Especially when that advice comes from a mentor or a coach that we have invested money into experiencing. Yeah. It's that they must know better than me. They know a lot of things, but they cannot know what it is to be you. (laughs) I feel like we've gone so deep today. (laughs) (laughs) So we we started out talking about a a naked actor on stage and and here we are. And, And here we are. Exactly. Exactly. Philosophizing. Yes. So where is the best place for people to keep having this conversation with you? Because I'm sure they will have opinions and stories that they would like to tell you. So the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. And I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but I am there. I am the only Kathleen Melvin on LinkedIn. I just ask that if you're going to connect with me, that you also send me a note letting me know why you're connecting. Because <laughs> otherwise I feel pressure to like dig around and try to figure out where we connected and on and, LinkedIn that's the worst yeah. because yeah, right? people can see that you've then looked and then <laughs> right. maybe, like when you get one of those messages and you're like I don't know who you are and then you click on their profile and you're like oh I really don't want to connect with you but now you know <laughs> I've seen your know. profile so now I feel like I have to yeah. tell you why I'm sure none of my <laughs> listeners will be one of those people no no <laughs> you're all wonderful I'm sure <laughs> well thank you so much this has been both hilarious and educational all wrapped up into one yes this has been delightful thank you for having me if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to follow the podcast and leave us a review